if anyone has been involved with any type of scouting, either as a child or an adult, you're probably familiar with the Pinewood Derby, where you make a race car out of a piece of pine wood. If you remember the instructions that came with a Pinewood Derby kit, the car design they show is basically a dragster. It's where you turn your rectangular block of wood into a wedge. It's the simplest design one can make, and it works fairly well. But also, as a person gets more skills in woodworking and design, they can do more. My first car was the wedge. But over time, I've seen people make pickup trucks, a tank, a 57 Chevy, a locomotive, and an eyeball. I myself have made a Firebird Trans Am, a VW Beetle, a Toyota MR2, and a school bus. The simple design points us to something better. Through Christmas, we will look at how simple shepherds in the Bible point us to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. We'll start in Genesis with Abel and then end on Christmas Eve with the Bethlehem shepherds. Our first shepherd is Abel, the dying shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, 11, and 15, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's see how Abel gives us a picture of Jesus. Genesis 4, 1 through 5. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. The shepherd brings a sacrifice. In this story, two offerings are brought to God, but only one sacrifice. Cain brings food. Biblically, food offerings are for giving thanks to God or in pagan offerings to feed the God. I'm using pagan when I say that. I'm not referring to any particular religious practice, but all practices that are not ordained by the one true God. Abel, the shepherd, doesn't merely bring an offering. He brings a sacrifice, a live animal. A life is given so that his life can be preserved. Blood is shed to cover sins. Abel's offering should remind us of God's covering of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21, where it says, The Lord God made clothing from the skins, uh, from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. An, an animal seems to have been killed to cover their nakedness, which became apparent after they sinned. The Lord respects Abel's offering and does not respect Cain's. It's not that it's wrong to give an offering of thanks. We do that every week. But the attitude of the giver is important. Consider the prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus spoke about in Luke 18, um, 11 through 13. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, 
because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Cain, with his offering, is perhaps saying, Thank you, God, for the work I was able to accomplish. Abel brings a sacrifice saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Abel leaves justified and Cain leaves angry. This is an old story that explains the difference between an offering and a sacrifice. On a farm, pig and chicken have been happy with their lives and wish to thank Mr. Farmer. Chicken says, I have an idea. Tomorrow let's make breakfast for Mr. Farmer. Bacon and eggs. Pig replies, for you, that's a gift. For me, that's a sacrifice. See, what I bring to God as an offering matters. I never bring my own work. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like polluted garments. All of our, us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. So my attitude should never be of paying God back. I bring two things. First, I bring my sinful self desiring to be made clean. Second, I bring the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The struggle is one of pride. Will I bring to God only that which God has requested and himself supplied? Let's continue with Genesis 4, 6-10. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The shepherd is also a sacrifice. God responds to Cain even though his offering was not acceptable. God is all about giving people opportunity for salvation. In Ezekiel 18.23, God says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is the de declaration of the Lord God. In instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his wicked ways and lives? God says to Cain, in my paraphrase, don't be mad. Don't be sad. If you do the right thing, you will also be forgiven. But there's also a caution because God is all, all about giving people warnings. If you don't do the right thing, you not only won't be forgiven, but sin will take you over. God is encouraging Cain to change his attitude and make a sacrifice. And that should give us a hint as to where the story is going. Cain does not release his anger but he does make a sacrifice. Okay, God, if the blood of a lamb will cover my sins, what will the blood of a human do? I don't believe Cain is merely murdering Abel. I think Cain is sacrificing him. If God requires blood and life for life, here it is. The shepherd is sacrificed. Just like with the food offering, this is ancient pagan thinking. I affirm that God would affirm that humans are more valuable than animals because humans are created in the image of God. But that does not equate human blood and death being a more potent sacrifice to appease a God. In fact, because humans are in the image of God, I would say that one should not sacrifice to God that which is his. Even more importantly than that, a sacrifice has to be clean. 
An animal symbolically can cover sins because the animal has not sinned against God. But Abel is not a clean sacrifice. Abel, when he brought his own sacrifice, has admitted his sinfulness. Abel's sins were covered, but he was not pure and thus not a clean sacrifice. Abel was also not a willing sacrifice. Cain killed him. And that is just another reason why Abel is just a pointer to Jesus. John 10 and several other passages let us know that Jesus died willingly. Verse 17, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own, and I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Back in Genesis, God asked Cain, where is your brother? And I think Cain's answer may be sarcastic. Cain knows where Abel's body is, but perhaps recognizing the spiritual part of humanity, he doesn't know where Abel's spirit has gone. However, God should know. After all, God was the one looking out for Abel. God's reply is that he does know where Abel is. Abel's blood didn't cover Cain's sins. Instead, Abel's blood is the witness to Cain's sins. Just as at the crucifixion of Jesus, everyone recognized that Jesus' blood would be a witness against them. Matthew 27, uh, 3 through 6. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What is that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, It is not permitted to put the into the temple treasury since it is blood money. And then later, Matthew 27, uh, 24 through 25. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Now that all sounds very ancient, right? The idea of the bloody human sacrifice, that, that surely that ended with the Aztecs, Mayans, and Inca. Or did it? I'd like to read some lyrics from the Michael Card song, The Spirit of the Age, which begins by referencing Matthew chapter 2, Herod's killing of the babies in his attempt to kill Jesus. It goes, I thought that I heard crying coming through my door. Was it Rachel weeping for her sons who were no more? Could it have been the babies crying for themselves, never understanding that they died for someone else? Now every age has heard it, this voice that speaks from hell. Sacrifice your children, and for you it will be well. The subtle serpent's lying, his dark and ruthless rage. Behold, it is revealed to be the spirit of the age. A voice is heard of weeping and of wailing. History speaks of it on every page of innocent and helpless little babies, offerings to the spirit of the age. This song is not meant to be subtle. It's a grim reminder that in every war and in every abortion clinic, we think we can make our lives better, released from our sin, our anger, and sadness by sacrificing someone else. God only asked for a human sacrifice twice in the Bible. The first time was also that of a shepherd. God asked the shepherd Abraham to sacrifice his son, the shepherd Isaac. 
But God does not allow that sacrifice to take place, instead presenting a ram to take Isaac's place. The second human sacrifice is when God offers his one and only son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. The only human sacrifice that is clean enough to not just cover sins, but to pay for them. The sacrifice God requires of me now requires me to be alive. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Michael Card's song ends with these lines. Soon all the ones who seem to die for nothing will stand beside the ancient of days. With joy we'll see that infant from a manger come and crush the spirit of the age. There is a choice everyone has to make. Will the blood of Jesus condemn me or free me? And that's where we are with Cain. Genesis 4, 11 through 16. God says to Cain, So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you, th- if you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear, since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to, Cain, replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The the shepherd's sacrifice must be accepted. Cain is punished. The ground has already been cursed because of Adam's sin, but now Cain is cursed so that even his hard work will not produce results in the ground. The thing that he had prided himself in before God is now lost to him, and now he's left to wander away from everyone else. Yet even in this, God has mercy. Cain rightly fears that someone will kill him in revenge, So God declares an end to the possible cycle of violence before it can ever begin. Something that is also more important than figuring out what the mark of Cain is, is realizing that Cain never asked for forgiveness. God has repeatedly told him to do what is right, and instead Cain just takes the punishment. We have two United States Supreme Court cases that explain this. George Burdick versus the United States and the United States versus George Wilson. The Burdick case says a person can refuse pardon even from the president. The Wilson case says if a person does not accept the pardon, the pardon is not in effect. So when people say, I don't understand how a loving God can send people to hell, I have to say the Supreme Court understands how a loving God who made full atonement for the sins of the whole world can send people to hell. The person simply refuses the pardon. God doesn't so much send people to hell as people choose to go there rather than humble themselves before God. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that 
Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 The great thing is that chance to believe is available to everyone. 1 John 4.14 The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. As we've been studying recently the book of Daniel, I found the story of Cyrus, king of Persia, to be appropriate. It said that Cyrus had captured a prince and his family. When they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, What will you give me if I release you? The prince replied, Half my wealth. And if I release your children, offered Cyrus, You may possess everything I possess, replied the prince. Cyrus then asked, And if I release your wife? Your majesty came the reply, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by this devotion that he freed them all. As they returned home, the prince said to his wife, Wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? With a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. Today, let us keep our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, that for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the good shepherd that died for the sheep. Let's pray this psalm, Psalm 123. I lift my eyes to you, the one enthroned in heaven, like a servant's eyes on his master's hand, like a servant girl's eyes on her mistress's hand. So our eyes are on the Lord our God until he shows us his favor. Show us favor, Lord, show us favor. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Lord, we look only to you for our salvation and for your sacrifice. God have mercy on me, a sinner. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you have heard. If you haven't already, I hope the one thing you will do is place your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. I leave you with this blessing. May heaven's richest blessing come down on everyone who goes out, following the good and beautiful shepherd himself, to find the lost sheep and to love and care for them. For beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news.